Okay, here we go, here we go. In the good old days when there was only one, you know, we have a three-year cycle. In the good old days when it was a one-year cycle, although I don't necessarily prefer it, this was quasi-modo genitai Sunday, so, you know. Um, you thought that was all about Disney, but no, no. Quasi-modo genitai, like newborn babies, right? Like newborn babies. First Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So everybody gets a fresh start. Quasimodo Genitai, the Sunday after Easter. Uh, this is traditionally the low Sunday in the church. It's usually across the world this will be the lowest attended Sunday of the 52 because everybody gets their big dose and they think Easter's great, but oh, it only lasts for a couple of days. So this is the lowest. This is It's called low Sunday in the church, sometimes even officially. So you'll, you'll hear that. All right, so here we go. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who through the death and resurrection of your Son has proclaimed to us the gospel of peace. Grant that by the power of his resurrection we may be born anew to a living hope and so overcome the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is very interesting already. Um, let's talk about getting back into the world. Just one Sunday, getting back into the world and getting busy. So that's very, very nice. If you just listen to the liturgy, everything's going to be fine. Okay, a couple of things. Um, did Carol Holter put this outreach program thing back there? Okay, so that's nice. I mean, there's $106,000. We've got a couple that we've given away to other places. Um, that's very, very nice to be able to say that. In the basket, uh, put money in there. It'll go to Paul Finn, who will be here next week. Now, I misled you last time I was here. I said that you know Finn would preach and teach Bible study. He will preach next week. Paul Finn will be here Saturday and Sunday. He'll preach, but he won't teach Bible study because we have the kids from Grace coming, and we don't want to, you know... So, but you'll have plenty, it'll give you plenty of chance to talk to him. He just won't be official, but he'll be around. The kids from Grace will be here. It should be a very nice mix. So, money in the basket for Paul Finn. Here is that. Now, see the thing, I don't want you to have to give away your work pen for that. Hold on. Um, hey, Mary, is there, a, is there a pencil or pen back there any place? Or John, can you see if you can find me one? Don't, 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 uh, don't send your pen around. I forgot the pen and the clipboard, sorry. Uh, if you want to go to Israel, the justice going, you know, talk to them. A couple of you have taken brochures. If you have questions, I can answer those for you. It's basically the same trip we did before, which is a pretty fantastic thing. So, um, okay, thank you so much. I'll send at least, I don't have a clipboard, but here I'll give you, I'll send you at least the pencil around so you don't lose yours, okay? Uh, okay, Pastor Finn, pancakes next week. We have very few, and the windows are in, so that's kind of fun. I mean, that was kind of nice, right? So... Thanks to all of you who uh, were so generous, and John will work to get some nice sills put in. They fit even better than we hoped they would, so there's very little work left to do. It looks to me like they're probably rainproof now, and uh, so it'll be fun. But we didn't solve the mystery of the blowing candles, did you notice? So we had to figure that out. We got a lot to do, Nancy Zarnt, I don't know. Well, I think if we held you up on a ladder during the service, and you felt from where the wind was coming, that would be good. Maybe we need somebody with really long hair we could watch for it to blow. So maybe you're off the ladder. Let's find somebody, Carol Tony. Okay, so uh, where is she? She's not here. Oh, I did it when she wasn't here? Oh, she's here. You can't wear the hat, though. Okay, good, all right. Thanks for enduring, you know, the cards and Pastor Nelson's happily. I mean, I'd have to say that my own heart left when I thought I was going to have to watch Pastor Nelson again walk into that bathroom. But no. You know, I was glad that discretion turned out to be the better part of value, val valor in the seventh video. Uh, you know, some things a man can only take so much of. 
We only have a couple of weeks left, and this always starts to happen. You know, we start to have special things, and then people fade because of the holidays or because of Palm Sunday. So basically, May, believe it or not, is almost busier in the church than Easter or Christmas. You all are very busy, and so are we in May. Uh, confirmation, confirmation and graduation and travel and all that. So we don't have very many times left. I do want to uh, move you through a couple of things, and I want to focus on the virtues primarily going forward. Um, you know, we, I can always kind of slip something in on a couple of sins for you. But I do actually today at least want to take up anger because it's such an important topic. And I think that fear and anger are two things that really define the church and also, unfortunately, and also define our society. And oftentimes, anger is even used as a motivation. Um, you know, and poking people, you know, get making people angry is used as motivation, as is fear. And you just have to watch the news tonight. In fact, for an assignment, you could watch the news tonight and just see how many stories are about fear and how many stories are about anger, or how many stories using fear and anger are meant to prompt people toward a particular kind of action. Don't, don't worry about whether the fear and anger is real. Just watch whether that's the, a, a grand motivator. And fear and anger are the opposite of love. Okay? So they're, they're the opposite of divine love. And we'll talk about why that is. So, um, you know, there's proper fear and proper anger, but it's not as widespread or salutary as people would think. Uh, so you need to be extraordinarily careful with it, and it has to have a very short lifespan. Okay? You, you know this. We've done this, you know. But I looked at my notes. The last time we did this was in 2010, so it's probably good to just review this. And I'll try to um, scoot you through in good time. Uh, in order to do that, I may start midway. I may start midway through my uh, through my outline because I want to make sure that I move to this. Okay. Um, think of it this way. Uh, think of it this way. You know, fear and anger um, often drive us toward hatred. That is that is how the that's how the line goes. If you just sort of you know, fear and anger, they often push toward hatred if they're not quelled or satisfied or in some way diluted. And that, you see, is the great danger. So I wrote you, you know, an, uh, just because we've been so scattered, I wrote you an outline in the first couple of pages. And, uh, but I'm going to push you to point number four on the outline. I also, uh, you know, I'm visual in how I remember things. So, you know, this is my own... You know, this is my own notes, as you can tell. These are my own notes about how I remember these things in my head. Um, this isn't new to you if you've been around for a while. I mean, I, I, but this, I think, you know, this summarizes everything I want to say, and I just decided to give it to you as, as, uh, as a way of working today, okay? So point number four, among the deadly sins is anger. And, you know, the first thing to say is everybody gets angry. It's regularly a reaction. It's a, reg it's a reaction to... Uh, something that hurts us or hurts something that we love. And in that sense, anger can be valuable. It can tell us what we cherish or what we love, what we're willing to defend, what we're willing to suffer for. Uh, and anger, so I'm turning the page, anger isn't always a sin. And, you know, regularly people, when they're angry, will quote to me Psalm 4.4, so I quote it right back to you. You know, be angry, but then the next bit, do not sin. That is a terribly, terribly difficult combination. Okay, so there is such a thing as righteous anger. I know very few people who are good at it. And as soon as it endures for a long time, or it works toward destructiveness, toward destruction, that is not 
it is no longer righteous, okay? I'm separating you from God in this case. God can do what he wants, and what God does is always good. But for you, you know, this is for you. Be angry, but don't sin. So if your anger lasts a long time, why do I say that? Because the scriptures very clearly say, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And so I said to you when we did this last time, your anger can roughly have the shelf life of manna, right? Do you remember this? They gathered more, that you could, you could gather manna for one day, and the people who gathered more, you remember, it rotted and got infested with worms if they, if they tried to gather more than was salutary, more than was good for them. So the scriptures say, your anger can last a day. Okay, so if you want to be good and angry, go ahead. Now you all know, especially if you think about people in your life, if you think right now about people who are really, really angry, really angry, they wake up every morning and they stoke the fires because they use anger as a motivation, right? So, um, you know, biblical anger is righteous and short, okay? Be angry, but don't sin. Commune with your own hearts on your own bed. And look at this, and be silent. Don't blog, right? Don't call the neighbors. Don't post on Facebook. Don't even go to the person and shout them down. You know, don't dress them down. It doesn't say that. Be angry, but don't sin. How could you do that? Well, you keep it to yourself. Commune with your own heart on your own bed and be quiet, okay? That forces you to come to a resolution with your anger if you're quiet about it. Because the anger is very, very painful. And if it's not expressed, if it's not expressed, if it's not yelled out, if it's not, if the rage, if the rage is contained within your own skin, it is extraordinarily painful. So a righteous anger, this is a righteous anger, you know. You keep it in, you're on your bed, you're silent. You offer sacrifices, which means you go to church, you say your prayers. You do the things that God asks you to do. And the key thing, you put your trust in the Lord. Now I'm jumping ahead, but because I want to make sure you get the big points, which are, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. So if you have any notion in your anger of repaying people, by God I will give them what they've got coming. If you have any notion of that, you're outside the bounds. Because that is not what Christians do. That is not what Christians do. And all the pseudo-Christians or people who go by the name Christian, especially in America, which is, you know, ostensibly, but I think the, I think the you know, I think the, you know, the, the, uh, the lie is fading, ostensibly a Christian country, who wrap themselves in Jesus and the church to be angry, 99.9% .9 of them have them wrong because they're outside what righteous anger is. It's short, it's quiet, it's intense, and it ends in the church, and with the Lord, knowing that he will sort it out, okay? Still good? So my, my, if you're nurturing anger, if you have something that's unrepentant, or if you wake up in the morning and you think horrible thoughts about the same person over and over again, you're going to have to go to work on that because that needs to be forgiven, and that will destroy you. It will eat you up from the inside out. Not only that, it will paralyze you for doing any good work because all your energy, you know, you have a, each of you has a limited amount of energy, and anger takes a huge, it's a huge energy sink. It takes a ton of energy to be angry and hateful. Everything from the planning, to the remorse, to the talking, to the vengeance. I mean, it takes a lot of, it a lot of energy to be angry at somebody over and over again. You'll never get any good done, okay? So if your anger's gone for more than a day, uh, you know, if you stoke it every morning, if you make it out loud, if you recruit, if you call, if you lie, if you do all the other things, you know, 
God help you. And I mean that in the most honest way. So um, here it is. Here's the chain reaction. You know, often, in fact, almost everybody I know who is angry for more than a day about something, uh, for often, however, anger is a sin. And it regularly is in support of the other sins like pride and lust. Almost always you'll find when somebody's really, really angry, it's because somebody has damaged them, their pride, or what they want. So one of the best things I ever learned, I can remember, I snuck through my major um, kind of self-designed, and I took a major because I wanted, I wanted, I wanted the shortest major to let me go to most places. And I can remember, so I got to take a couple classes when I was an undergraduate in the Stanford Business School. I can still remember old Jim March. I don't know whatever happened to him. I just remember him standing with his bald head and all these brilliance saying, power is when you have something somebody wants or you're doing something somebody hates. It's one of the truest things I've ever learned. Power is when you have something somebody wants, a hostage, or you're doing something somebody hates, blowing up airplanes, for example. It's just the truest thing. And you can almost always analyze these things in terms of power. There's a few things, if you just hold on to them, it just makes it so clear. That's what happens to us. When people sin against us, they violate our power when we cling to things in pride or in lust. They take the things that we thought we should have. They hurt us in ways we don't think we should be hurt. They diminish us. They shame us. And so we will square things up. Now, anger takes all kinds of form. But I'm just telling you, it's a dangerous, dangerous emotion. It's a normal emotion. Everybody has it. Everybody has it. Me included. Everybody has it. But I'm just telling you, the sooner you shed it in a divine way, the better it will be for you. And that's by the time we clear today, I want to try to get you all the way to the right side of this paper. Left side, right side, right side of this paper. Okay? Okay, so here's what happens when you're angry. And I am going to follow the outline, but I'm going to give you the high points. Here's one thing that we don't understand. When we're angry, when we're angry to the point of it being a deadly sin, this is true even when it's a venial sin, but when we're angry to the point of of being a deadly sin, a couple of things happen to you. And if you think back to where you've ever been in a situation where people are really, really angry, um, here's what happens. People can't think clearly and they can't see clearly. I've been in a couple of situations in my life where I've understood how mobs murdered people. It is terrifying. There's just a sense when you get in a group, you think this is gonna go and it's not gonna stop and there's no way to get out of this, right? Now why does that happen? Because people get so angry and so fearful, so angry, they get so fearful, so angry, that they no longer can think, see, or choose clearly. We talked about this earlier, about how your intellect and will, basically human beings can see, and human beings can choose to do something. And then we talked about how last time, to be able to discern is to be able to see the choices, to put them next to each other, to sift them, test the Spirit, says the Scriptures, and you choose the one that Jesus would like. Anger does the opposite. Unquelled anger does the opposite. Which is it chooses the answer I would like. Which sometimes means you have to die. Unfortunately for you. And good for me. Right? So we have to kill, and you've heard this a zillion times in human history, those people. Right? So if you've ever been part of that, that's just anger on a communal scale. And it is, it is terrifying. 
It is terrifying. And once it gets rolling, it is difficult, difficult to stop. Take something like the Thirty Years' War in Germany. Why did it stop? I mean, they basically, they ran out of arrows and people to kill. You know, after 30 years of killing their families, each other, divided across religious lines, basically people kind of threw up their hands and said, you know, we're just so tired we can't string a bow anymore. Right? I mean, that is a horrible, horrible thing. So, this is just very, very important to understand. When you're angry, you can't see clearly and you can't choose well. Now, this is why it's extraordinarily important that you live in a community, one, where the community can care for you, and two, you have a go-to person, a pastor, normally in the church, uh, maybe an elder, wise old woman, wise old man. You need to have somebody in your life where you can say, or you need to have a community in your life where you can say, I just can't see clearly and I don't know what to do. Okay, and then here's the other side. I'll just tell you this. Then when they tell you what to do, go do it. Because the reason you talk to them is you can't see clearly and you can't think clearly and you can't choose. So don't go to somebody, ask advice, and then not do it. Don't waste their time. Okay? Now, the really great thing about St. John is, and God bless you, you know, I'm 10 years from retirement. Please hold it at least that long. Then it'll be Nelson's problem. But what I'm asking you to do is, one of the great things about St. John is, this is a very calm, happy community, well aware of where anger takes you, okay? Now, what traditionally happens with people is you lose the memory of how painful anger is. So I'm begging you, you need to keep the memory alive. Now, we do institutional things to do that. We kneel down, except in Easter, and we say, I'm a jackass. You know, I was angry ten times this week. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Okay? We institutionally say, and that's why it's so important to take those things seriously, because you say out loud, man, was I angry this week, but I'm going to leave that here at the altar. You keep the memory alive of how painful things are. You know, if you've, you know, if you've touched a stove or, you know, put your hand in a saw or pick something, right? I went home to, when I was home for my, I think I told you this story sometimes. I went home to, you know, kind of working through my parents' stuff now because my mom had passed on. And I was at, where I spent a lot of time as a boy at my dad's shop. There's a shear there where one day I almost cut off all my fingers. I, and I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night with, I just sit straight up with this. It was the end of a day, really long day, really hot, humid Iowa. I was cutting sheet metal. And, you know, this, it always, it's like you break your leg on the last run of the day. You know, I had my fingers <coughs> under the shear, and right at the last minute, I, I realized, I pulled it back in the shirt, and then, I mean, then there's no forgiveness then. You know, in a sheet metal shear, there's no forgiveness. I mean, the flywheel goes, and, you know, bone and skin are nothing. I still, you know, you have memory of that. It was funny how that, I went to that machine, how fresh that memory was, and that happened, you know, 40 years ago. How fresh that memory is, you know, I remember that. I have great respect for that machine. You know, uh, that's the kind of respect you need to have for anger. You need to have that kind. You have to remember how painful it is and what your life would be like if you actually got what you wanted. If you actually killed that person, what would your life be like? If you actually damaged that person so much, what would your life actually be like? You know, sometimes we try so hard and when we get what we want, man, this is painful. So anyway, the point of this, point five is, just know that when you're that angry, you can't see clearly, and you can't think clearly, and you can't choose clearly.
And Lutherans have always talked that way. Lutherans have always talked that reason is clouded, you know, our hearts are dark. That, so especially when you're caught in a sin, this is true for any sin, pride, lust, but anger too. When you're caught in those sins, you just can't choose well. This is why you throw yourself on the counsel and mercy of somebody else to guide you. And we all need that. That's why the, the stupid, stupid thing that pastors don't need pastors, it's so stupid. You can't believe how stupid that is. It's really stupid. Did I mention it was stupid? Because here's the thing. You know, I'm not immune from this. Nobody is immune from this. So this is the end of the page. Anchor hobbles your, your heart. You know what hobbles are actually, right? You've actually seen hobbles, you know? Hobbles is, you know, the links they put on horses, for example. You know, it's like two fetters and a chain between, so they can't run off. You hobble them, but don't have to tie them down. I mean, that's how you are. It's like you just can't go very far. Okay, I'm going to turn the page, right? Um, now, here's the thing. Jesus is very clear. This is the page with the... This is very clear. Jesus is very clear about this. If you love me, you'll follow my commandments. This is my command to you, that you love your enemies. You do good to those who hate you. You bless those who curse you. And you pray for those who abuse you. I mean, this could not... This is like first grade stuff. If you love me, you'll do what I say. If you, I mean, here it is. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Oh, by the way, here's my commandments. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless you. Pray for those who Now, here's the thing. You can be angry all day long so long as you love your enemies, <laughs> do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you, okay? So you can have a good long day of anger. God bless you. Have all the anger you want under this rubric. That's where, this is righteous anger, Okay? So it can't last more than a day, and all day long, every time that person comes to mind, you don't think about how to kill them, put them in pain, punish them, condemn them, get vengeance. You think, wow, I bless them. So, I mean, I'm going to say this to you later. I can't remember what stuff is in here. I know that will stun you. But um, one of the ways, one of the easiest ways to quell anger when you see somebody, so, you know, you bump into somebody in the grocery store or, you know, church or on the street that, that you really do hate and are angry about. The cleanest way through, the cleanest way through is simply to say, um, Lord have mercy on this person. Name them by name. You name them when you're angry, you might as well name them when you're praying. The cleanest way through is to say, Lord have mercy on. Uh, or if you have to speak out loud, you should be extraordinarily careful what you say, but probably what you should say is, you know, Christ bless you. Christ have mercy on you. And that's about as far as you should go. Because anything else is going to be the work of the devil. Alright, so I give you this little piece which I've run several times from David Scare, but I I really do like the middle part that I've underlined there. You know, Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, and pray for those who abuse us. Now, here's the thing. Everybody says that. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Instead of lending money to people who really dislike us, and expecting it back, we're actually supposed to cancel the loan. Jesus sums it up with these simple words. And this is, man, every pastor should read this and every church person should read this. It should be on your wall at home. Expect nothing in return. If you expect something in return, it's not love. Okay? So we yap on about grace and mercy and gifts and all that. Here's the thing. The acid test for grace and mercy and gifts is you'll expect nothing in return. You love people turn the other cheek, pray for them, suffer abuse, 
and expect nothing in return. And I mean in any way, shape, or form. Not a return from them and not even a return from Christ. Your return, in this life at least, is simply that you're doing what God commands you to do. You're actually taking seriously the notion that Jesus says, follow me. You actually follow him. And the reward is rare in this particular life. The reward that you get for certain is of knowing that you're doing Jesus' will. If you live in a good place like St. John, and I mean this in dead seriousness, the reward you get is you get to be in a community where everybody honors the same thing. So part of the reward of keeping your congregation not angry and at the altar, always confessing and always being forgiven, is that you not only are confident that Jesus will reward you, but that can be lonely, because your reward can be a long way off. But you actually get to experience in your congregation, this is why it's so, so, so important that congregations do not live in fear and do not live in anger. Because if you do, you have no place to go. There's no place to go. So I just been saying to you, you know, the last couple of years have been pure bliss. Um, keep going. It'll depend on all of you and me too, but mostly on you. There's more of you. Um, pastors can't do it on their own. But the great joy of St. John is that people are so careful with each other and so careful about being angry. Sometimes maybe too much, but actually it's better to err on that side. Um, you know, if you feel yourself turning into a Scandinavian and stuffing it all down, come and see me. I'll help you pry it out, okay? Uh, you know, the first rule of a dysfunctional family, never say what's on your mind. You know, if you feel like that's not the same as not being angry, okay? I mean, being dysfunctional and never being able to bring things out in the open, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how you deal with real issues, which is to name them very carefully and crisply. This is a sin. And then to name the balance. And I forgive you, and I love you, and I pray for you. And I turn the other cheek, and I'll suffer because of you, and I'll just keep going. It's a difficult life. The great thing about a congregation is if you can get a whole congregation to do it, you're in it together, and you're not alone. It's the best, 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 okay? I just give you the warning on the bottom, unrestrained, anger is a deadly sin. At the end of the day, unrestrained, it kills faith, hope, and love. I'm turning the page, okay? <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to read to you, if you want to read. I'm going to, you know, you always need a text. So I'm going to go to Psalm 103. If you, if you have a Bible, if you want to pick up 103, um, you can do that, which is an interesting little psalm about anger. One of the things about the anger, and, and let me just say something on the side. There's so much to say about this. Um, there are things that are going to happen to you. You're going to get sick. Somebody you love is going to get sick. You're going to be hurt. You know, it's not uncommon for people to walk in and suddenly not have a job after 25 years. And everybody, the, one of the horrible things about America is people have gotten used to that. And you walk in, you don't have a job, and nobody flinches. Oh, yeah, that happened again. Right? You're going to, just all kinds of things happen. I just want to say, um, you're not going to be able to, most people aren't going to be able to um, get over their rage in one day. So this is going to be a repeated treatment for you, but I will say for this, is you should go have a good yell at God. The Psalms are full of people. The Psalms are absolutely chock full of people having a good yell at God. Why do the wicked prosper? Why did the guy just poke me in the eye? Why is he rich? You know, Job, you know, all my kids are dead. My house is collapsed. You've taken everything from me. Why, I mean, why, 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 why? Here, all I can say to you is, if you want to have a good yell, read the Psalms. I had an old, there's an old guy I know, pastor, theologian, who said, 
You know, until you've read the Psalms in your despair, you haven't really suffered. And there is something true that that, that you'll get to a day in your suffering. You're going to get your, you're going to get to a day in your suffering where you just cannot bear it, and there's no place to go. The only place left to go, the only place left to go, is the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, a hundred of a hundred and fifty are is somebody yelling at God. Go ahead and yell at him; he can take it. Other people can't take it. Your family can't take it. Sometimes even your pastors can't take it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting to have somebody yell at you all the time. It's exhausting to deal with people's anger. If you live in a family or a family unit where there's a lot of anger, you know this, okay? Because you're always on edge. You're always waiting for the next shoe to drop. Here's the thing. The only one who can take that kind of rage is God himself. Read the Psalms. You'll see, you'll see that the Lord can take it. Um, 103, Psalm 103 is a great example. I'm just going to read the middle part for you here. So 103, I'm going to start around verse 8, I think. Although verse, oh no, verse 6, okay. Look at this. The Lord works vindication. Okay, vindication means it gets squared up. Everything gets squared up. So here's the thing. The Lord will square it up. And if I don't say anything else, if you don't remember anything else, from today, that's the way you make it through your anger. The single thing, the single thing that will get you through your anger is this. You may not be able to square it up. Your pastor may not be able to square it up. Your mom, your dad, your kids, they may not be able to square it up. The police may not be able to square it up, okay? This is the single thing that will get you through. The Lord is going to square it up. There will be a day, it will be a sweet day, when every wrong is made right. That's what vindication means. The Lord works vindication. And this is now for you. Not just in general, but justice for all who are oppressed. Okay? So if you feel the crush, if you feel the press, if you can just, if you can just feel evil kind of leaning on you, and your response to that is to be angry and even then to despair, right? If you can feel it, good news. The Lord will sort it out. And then, just in case you think he won't, verse 7. Well, he did it for Moses. He made known his ways to Moses and the people of Israel. So there's a couple thousand years where he took good care of things. How did he do it? Now, see, you would think it's important to, you know, post, blog, screen, yell, undercut, lie, right? Politics. You know? You don't believe me? Go home watch the news tonight. Ask yourself if everything isn't just about the need for power. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Look at this. Slow to anger. So it takes him a while to get charged up. Just as an aside, Matthew 18. There's no time limit on being merciful. He's slow to anger. And I just as a pause, I'm going to just ask you to observe in your own life the difference between giving offense and taking offense. People are going to do all kinds of things here, even at church, and they're just going to rub you the wrong way. Okay, that's part of the human condition. Sometimes you just need to say about the people around you, even your pastors, they're just having a bad day. Okay? There are some things that rise to the level of, hey, we need to take care of these things. But the more you can say, you know, I'm human too, I understand. And there are some of you in this congregation who are really good at this. I could name for you, except to embarrass them, a couple of people in this congregation who are long-suffering were able to say, you know what? Maybe they were just having a bad day. All right? 
That is slow to anger. Yeah, occasionally there are things that happen, and you have to look them in the eye, and you have to you have to take care of them. But not way way fewer than we think. Okay. The Lord is merciful and gracious. That's how He's going to save the day. In fact, that's how vindication is going to happen. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Look at that. That's where we started. That divine love, faith, hope, and love were the key. He will not always chide, although some days He will chide you. Nor will He keep His anger forever. Look at that. His anger ends too. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. This for that, right? You did this, so now he's got to get back at you. Every sin rises to the level of a punishment. You did this, now we've got to bang on you. This, that, this, that, that will kill you. It'll kill me. The Lord punishes very few of your sins, to be honest with you. Very few of my sins. I mean, if, it, if he this for that at us, life would be horrible. You know, the only time the Lord punishes you is to bump you and nudge you back inside the line. These are all things we've talked about now. The chopsticks are coming into play. Nor does he requite us according to our iniquities. Now look, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to do- toward those who fear him. So you're muddling around with me, and we're all sitting here kind of at some, you know, 4,000 feet above sea level. And then, you know, way higher. As heavens are above the earth, there's the Lord who just radiates love constantly toward the earth. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. This is great. As a father pities his children. I hope you had a father who pity you. Um, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Right? So if you're a father or a mother, you know, learn pity. Your kids actually need that. That you understand them and forgive them all in one lump. And then move from your children to the other people in your life that you know. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. Men, their days are like grass. You flourish like the flower of a field, then the wind passes over and it's all gone. It's a place nobody even knows anymore. So you know what? If you can't console yourself in any other way, console yourself with the fact that it'll all end sometime on the Lord's terms. That's really good. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, so it never stops. You're never alone, you're never unloved. From one end of the universe to the other, God is loving upon those who fear him and his righteousness to your children's children. There you are. If you have kids who have gone off the rail, grandkids that have gone off the rail, you pray for them. Because guess what? The Lord's going to love your children's children. It goes the other way too. You don't go to church, you don't say your prayers, you don't go to the Eucharist, you don't teach them to forgive, you teach them to be angry, you teach them to be in it for themselves, you engage pride, you engage lust, you engage the deadly sin. That'll pass on to your children's children too. You know, you remember the meaning, or the, the summary of the Ten Commandments, to the children's children, to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But that's not us, it's the other side here, right? To those who fear to the righteousness, to children's children. So you, right now, your prayers, your life blesses your grandchildren. That is great stuff. To those who keep his covenant, rest here, Passover, Eucharist, and remember his commandments. Isn't that great? So, um, man, there's so much to do, partly because the world is such an angry place. But I want to see if I can spare you from it, you know. Um... There's so much to do on this, but then there's so 
here's the thing, just grab the yellow sheet. You know, I can do this from you. And you, you, we've done that, I'll console myself with a bit that we've done this before, although many of you are new. So here's what happens. <clears throat> Some evil comes to you. Sometimes you do it to yourself, you know. The pornography, it kills you, really. Pride, just chips away at you. You know, anger, this. Sometimes it comes from outside. You're suddenly sick, you're suddenly fired, you're suddenly hurt. You go home today and somebody drives over you in the crosswalk. You know, this. I mean, you could, you know, only in Chicago does a woman come home from an anti-violence thing, pulls into her driveway and gets shot to death in gang crossfire. That's a great story to wake up to this morning in Chicago. You're like, really? Come on, really? I don't know. The world is a tough place. What happens when, when that happens to you, when the, there's anger, when it hits you, you get this emotion called anger. Now you're going to do a couple of things with that. If you want justice, and this is really important, and you heard talk about justice in here, if you want justice, if you beg Jesus for justice, if you beg God the Father to just rain justice down in the world, okay, but just remember when he goes around killing everybody who's sinful, you should just step up, take your medicine, okay? Because if you pray for justice, if you pray for justice, total justice, harsh justice, at the end of that day, everybody's dead. If you pray that everybody gets what they deserve, if I hate Dan and I pray, give him what he deserves, right? I want justice everywhere and I want it to be thorough. If you get that, You'll get it, but everybody will be dead, including you. Okay? This is why the gospel isn't fair. If you ask God to be totally fair, totally just. Now, alternately, and we just went through this last week, there's another way for justice to exist, and that's in mercy. Where um, all sin, all anger, all trouble, all vengeance, all the deadly sins, all the venial sins, everything that chips away is put on Christ on the cross. So a more proper prayer would be, if I hate Dan, would be, I pray that you'd have mercy on Dan. And I pray that you would do his best. I mean, it's just, I mean, you could practice this for a while. I pray that, I pray that, I pray Jesus that you'd do your best for Dan. And I would resist the weakened impulse, which most of you do now, to explain to God exactly what that would mean. <laughs> the whole notion that you have to have a list of things and tell God to do it is the most prideful, arrogant notion. Right? I got no idea why he's angry. I got no idea why he hurts me. I mean, I might discover a thing or two, but people are complicated. So, I mean, there's very few people who can look into Dan's heart and say this is exactly what he needs. In fact, the only one who does that thoroughly is the Lord. So what I would suggest to you is that you pray for mercy for everybody. And why can you do that? Because you know that there'll be a day when the Lord will sort it all out. There's the psalm. The Lord will have vengeance. Or vengeance is mine, I will repay. So what that means is that God will square everything up. Now here's the thing. Um, it's like the parable where Jesus pays everybody. You remember the parable where every, Jesus, he, he gets people to come early in the morning, in the middle of the day, and late in the afternoon, and at the end of the day it's pay time, and he pays everybody the same? Remember that story? And the guys who worked all day long, what do they say is? What do they say? Do you remember? Hey, what the heck? That's not fair. 
you know, Dan hardly broke a sweat. I've been here since 7 a.m. I mean, he just had a Subway sandwich and a beer, and he carried like three bricks, and now the, and he gets it. And then what does Jesus say? You know what Jesus says? He says, what is it to you if I do with my money, or translate, what is it to you if I do with my love, what I want to do with my love? It's not your business. The deal we had was that you'd work from 7 a.m. all the way to the end, and you get paid 10 bucks. If I want to be merciful to Dan, give him 10 bucks too, what's that to you? Because it's my money. I get to do what I want. That's partly, see, even that we wouldn't let God be God. Even if we, we God can't be God. We've got to tell God how he's going to run his deal. Right down to mercy. If you're the Christ, come off the cross. That's telling God how to be merciful. Okay? Now, what will happen the moment that you choose mercy over justice? What will happen is you will have hope. Okay? And I've spun it out for you, and now I'm going to actually work you back from the end. Because Christ works it out for us, because Christ squares it up, because the Lord's vengeance is perfect, because he tries to do it the mercy way, and he'll only do it to you the wrath way if you demand it, right? The only way he'll get, be wrathful to you is if you force him to be wrathful because he won't violate you as a human being. You get to be free, and if you want to choose wrath, God help you. God have mercy on you, you know? But if you know that God is going to work it out, basically what happens is you can go forward and you can live in hope and joy. Why? Because God's going to work it out. Not only is he going to work it out, he's going to work it out for your good. This is the big finish, okay? So when you're angry, I get it. God gets it. I get it. You're angry. I get it. It's painful. It's yours. It's your kid. It's your wife. It's your job. It's your life. I get it. I have it too. The key is to not let that anger morph into unrighteousness. Okay, so you have it. It's a natural emotion. You have it. What are you going to do with it? This is the old thing about, you know, soldiers in battle. You know, fear is natural, but courage is what you do with that. Okay? Everybody fears. Everybody's angry. The question is what you do with it. What you do with it in the church is, and honest to God, it's the reason there's a body on the cross. You go to the altar, you kneel down, you look up, and you say, that's how God deals with things. Not by life, but in death and in resurrection, right? So he doesn't, as we heard so many times over the last week, give us what our sins deserve. So why would he give to Dan what his sins deserve? If he's not going to give me what my sins deserve, why should, why should I demand that he gives to Dan? I mean, if I want to set the rules, if everybody gets what they deserve, okay, then we all get it. But the rules are the same for everybody. So if we all get what we deserve, we're all dead. If we all get what we don't deserve, then we work at living in grace. And when you know, so I'm just going to tell you, the bottom line is about your anger. The bottom line about the anger is, if you're angry consistently for a very long time, you do not believe the Lord is going to work it out. That's your sin. It's actually the sin of unfaith. You absolutely, positively do not believe the Lord. If you nurture that anger, if you stoke it, if you gather, if you twist the truth in order to you know, win for your side, it's because you do not believe the Lord is actually going to work it out. But if you can live in calm, if you can live in peace, yes, you're still suffering. Yes, you're still angry. Yes, it greets you first thing in the morning. The way you quell it, tamp it down, smother it, push it to the side, 
is to grab a crucifix and remember the Lord squares it up and this is how he does it in the flesh and blood of Jesus. He joins you to the flesh and blood of Jesus. He forgives everything you've done and someday he will square it all up, not in death and destruction, he will square it all up in resurrection and life forever. Okay? Because you know that, you can live in hope. And it relativizes everything on earth. Money, you know, possessions, status, even the people we love, kids, family, even our own lives. We, it relativizes everything. And if you have that, what happens is anger goes down and um, joy and hope grow. Now here's the thing, and you know this, and I've given you um, pages of this stuff in here. Wisdom isn't cheap when we pay for it with pain. There's a reason the scriptures talk about growth as being put through a fire, as being resurrected, as dying and being resurrected, as being sick and then being healed, as being blind and then seeing. There's a reason, there's a reason that it talks about growth as the way, you know, a plant grows slowly and through many seasons. Sometimes the seasons are very painful. Too much cold, too much heat, too much rain, too much hail, too much dry. There's a reason it talks about faith that way. Because faith happens in all directions, right? Through all sorts of circumstances. But the bottom line is, to quell anger, you know, the answer is, the Lord is going to square it up. You don't have to. You're relieved of that burden. So if I'm really angry at Dan, here's the thing. I just, I don't have, I don't have any business trying to straighten him out and the only business I do have is working out forgiveness for him, which is why then the scriptures talk about going to Dan and saying, oh, you are, you're caught in something or you hurt me in a way that um, probably's not good for your soul. Remember it says you go to somebody, Matthew 18, so you can be reconciled to them. What time is it? I just, just tend to, I can just keep going. So here's the thing. Um, you go to him and you, you basically say, yeah, we've got to get there by 11. You go to him and you say, I don't want you to go straight to hell. I don't want you to live in anger. I don't want you to live in pain. I don't want you to be an abuser. I don't want you to be an oppressor. I don't want you to be a liar or murderer. I don't want you to be that. I don't want you to be damned. I don't want you to feel the wrath of God. I don't, I don't, I don't. And now we're exactly the opposite place where we started. Anger is on its flip side now, where my concern is not to destroy him, but to save him. That's the full punch of the gospel. Okay? Ooh, I'm exhausted. But that is... Um, you know, have a go at that. I'm not going to have very much time with you. I'm not going to get to you next week. If you want to think about this and talk about it coming back, we can a little bit. We only have two or three times left uh, before I'm off to Spain, and then it's summer, and then everybody scatters. Not sure exactly what we're going to do, but somehow. But let me just tell you, if you can quell this, if you can quell anger, the world is yours. The world is yours. We live in a fearful, angry world. If you can quell anger, the world is yours. Of course, it's quelled not by you, but by receiving the Lord's gifts, which focus you on the Lord and what He does. You don't have the responsibility. You don't have the press. You don't have to do it. He'll fix it. Life will be good. And then you can live together in peace. Okay? And love. All right, let's pray. Got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 
All right, cheers, thanks. Next week, uh, pancakes. Come bring, bring an appetite for pancakes and, and Dr. Finn. <laughs>